0: Dude, get a new car. <laughs> I, hear, Alley, I hear there's a Russian Volga. On I want to get
1: one of those Russian Volgas. I, know. You know, I totally want you that car. Like, you'd look good at one of those Thank you. with a hat? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I've got the, the cane, the silver top cane. <laughs> you are listening to the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival where we brought an analysis of stigmatized creative expression in film, art, and literature. To understand the misunderstood, your host is Miguel Rodriguez. What? Are you saying you want me to start a new podcast episode? You're telling me it's been too long since the last Horrible Imaginings podcast? Well, because my cat demanded it, it is time to bring forth another Horrible Imaginings podcast episode. It has been a bit of a while since my last one. Thankfully, I have a guest today to talk about a film of his that's going to be released very soon. In fact, uh, in a couple of days on Showtime, as well, of course, as a a number of channels. And what's exciting about this is this particular film is a Horrible Imaginings Film Festival alumnus film. It's screened at the 2013 edition. And it's nice for us to see when these films are able to grow and catch new audiences as time goes by. So I wanted to invite the director along to talk about his film, not only to give everybody out there a uh, heads up on where they could catch the film, but also because the same director's new short will be showing at the San Diego Latino Film Festival, which is this month, and us here at Horrible Imaginings are happy to be involved in the programming of a sidebar called Un Mundo Extraño, which is their genre sidebar, and I am creating a short film block And this particular short film will be there, so you'll have a chance to meet my guest at the San Diego Latino Film Festival. Our conversation took place at the Media Arts Center. We were outside, so occasionally you'll get the atmosphere of heavy winds as it was a nice, brisk, 65-degree San Diego winter day. And that is also an appropriate place because that is the headquarters of the San Diego Latino Film Festival. But enough introduction. There's a lot to talk about with this film. It's based on a classic gothic tale, which many of you will be familiar with. And uh, that also, I'll I'll wait till you get the conversation. But first, let's start with the trailer of the film in question. Then you'll get who am I talking to and what is the film. The vampire rises and tries in every possible way to drive their loved ones to suicide. For the one who takes their own life, is lost for eternity and longs for company in the land of shadows.
1: Are you alright, Lara?
0: I think you'll be really excited to see the castle. It hasn't been touched since it was closed in 1917.
1: The great Dr. Walter Hill, who has travelled so far to bring our cultural heritage to the world.
0: Dwelling on these things won't do you any good. You want to get better, don't you? Look out!
1: You okay? Come out, it's all right. My name is Carmila. I'm looking for a young girl. I fear for her safety.
0: Are you afraid of dying? No. What's happening here? Five girls are dead, and several young women have become violent. People blame you. What do you mean?
1: They are suicide clusters. Symptoms of mass hysteria. One cannot let the devil take root in these lovely creatures. They need a firm hand to be tamed and protected.
0: What's wrong with me?
1: It's time for the true healing of Styria.
0: (sighs) Doors. full of hate and loneliness. We're the lucky ones. We can escape it. Why do you
1: hide everything from me? Why can't you tell me the truth? Did we cause this?
0: of the Horrible Imaginings podcast. This is your host Miguel Rodriguez speaking from the back of the Media Arts Center San Diego where we have our legendary Digital Gym Cinema. My home away from home showing movies to the San Diego area. And I'm sitting with Mauricio Chernovetsky, a director and, well, actually, why don't you talk about yourself a little bit and your local ties.
1: I was actually born in Mexico City Mm -hmm. but I, I moved here with my family when I was eight years old. So I spent pretty formative years here in San Diego from eight to like 18 and then mm-hmm. I went off to different places uh, all over the world. I studied film in Poland mm-hmm. and I also uh, have a master's from uh, in film production from San Diego State and now I'm living in Los Angeles.
0: The reason I have you on here today is first of all you're an alumnus of my film festival. It was a great experience. It was nice to be able to share the film here in San Diego. Yeah, definitely, and the audience responded really well. Uh, At the time that we showed it, a year and five months ago now, I had a different title. Let's start with the titles. I think that'll be first.
1: I do want to say this is a co-directing effort. And my co-director uh, isn't here right now, but his name is Mark Devendorf, and he also has strong ties to San Diego. And we worked together mm-hmm. in San Diego State. He helped me edit my thesis, and that's how we started talking. And we decided to finally adapt, which is also very important uh a novella from the nineteenth century, right, Lefanus story, yeah. story uh, Carmilla, mm-hmm. uh, in which takes place in this in this place called Styria, which mm-hmm. actually is a region in Austria. Mm-hmm. So some people can get a little upset thinking that we're trying <laughs> to be ignorant about the whole thing. But for us, it also even in the way the story frames it, it mm-hmm. f- kind of feels like a mythical place because there are different regions considered uh, Styria in Europe. So we decided to adapt it uh, to a Hungar- to a Hungarian kind of mm-hmm. reality. And have our characters cross the Iron Curtain in 1989. Now, so the name the the name that we came up with was Styria because mm-hmm. we liked we liked the sound of it. It's the way also, it, I
0: believe, the second or third word in the novella after the prologue, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so it kind of felt like it resonated mm-hmm. and it kind of rooted, uh, you know, the 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 story in the, in the original. Even though obviously the adaptation takes some kind of bold leaps because yes. it doesn't. It's not a. It's not at least uh, a period piece in that sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay. so the
0: original title, Styria, is an interesting name, and the story itself has been adapted many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. So the author of the original story is Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, a uh, writer of mysteries. And in fact, the story Carmilla came out before Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's right. So it's uh, often people think of it as being very influential on Dracula. Right. So it has been adapted. It's, it's funny. Dracula has become this very iconic thing, but Carmilla has as well, just not with a name, mm-hmm. right? So tell me about deciding to adapt that story, which is almost like a, a covert iconicism
1: it's interesting because I I had just adapted uh, for my thesis film I mm-hmm. adapted uh, Euripides uh, okay. play uh, the Trojan women but it I'll was just a my. scene okay. from it right. and I named my movie Cassandra and while Mark and I were working on the edit uh, at one moment he 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 had this way sometimes of you know when as a director sometimes especially when you're starting out everything is so you're full of anxiety about every little thing including a m- minuscule cut yes so at, at some point I think he kind of throw me off he's like you know, we should do some other film together. You know, I was thinking we could do a a vampire lesbian film. You know. Yes. And so at some, you know, I looked at him and I go, "You're, you're <laughs> fucking joking, right?" And he's like, "Well, just no. have you read Le Fanu's Carmilla?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "No." He's like, "Okay, well, I'll give it to you. It's in my car." Yeah. And so we we I, I read it, and what what struck me is that that kind of paradox yes. of of a story that has in some ways been adapted in that way, in the sex exploitation way. Mm-hmm. And when you when I read the story, all of a sudden it felt very much like a continuation of some of the themes. That we've been exploring in cassandra interesting uh, and and just this kind of gothic repressed victorian atmosphere really appealed to me um
0: i'm, I'm gonna stop you all right yes. so cassandra's story and the trojan women sure when you were adapting that did you change its time period or was it still an ancient time oh period? absolutely
1: i i actually adapted it to uh the realities of a border town on the other side uh, a, Mexican a Mexican border town. A Mexican border okay. town. A uh, rocky border town, and Cassandra was a daughter of uh, Hecuba, who's, uh, who she's kind of like a brothel, owns a brothel, and is protective of her
0: prophetic, strange mm-hmm. daughter. When you're talking about the thread going from Cassandra into Carmilla, certainly yeah. both very patriarchal.
1: Yes, and I think that in some ways, I think that if you look, if you look at Styria, one mm-hmm. of the strongest themes in the film is, in a weird way, it, it is, you know, as opposed to a lot of the sexploitation vampire lesbian films from the '70s, our film kind of takes on a kind of critique of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the strongest uh, layers of the film, and in a way, it kind of sets the
0: whole tone. Yeah, I believe in the film, uh, you introduce Stephen Ree and his daughter's character with with him basically not letting her speak. Almost symbolic, yeah, speak when spoken to.
1: But also this kind of fear. And we realize later the fear comes from his own fears of what her, who her, his daughter might become because yeah. we, we realize he's been hiding everything
0: about her mother. The sexploitation films, they haven't all been sexploitation, but the majority have been. Probably because the story of Carmilla was a four-part series in a magazine. And uh, for the time, it probably was exploitation. you know? Uh, it, it, it's interesting how it's very Victorian and how it veils it in innuendo. But having the main narrator be a woman, and also, it's hard to even call her an antagonist, mm-hmm. but the conflict force be another woman yeah. who's thrust upon her family especially from a man's point of view. But uh, it is kind of a progressive story in that way.
1: I, I think so. And I also think it's like pretty insightful psychologically. And mm-hmm. I think that also drew me to the story even more because I feel like it just kind of flirts a lot with different things and it kind of opens up this question of what vampirism is all about. And yeah. I think that that's exactly the thing that we were so fascinated about. Like, what is, what is this this idea of vampires? Which, of course, now... You know, vampires are everywhere, mm-hmm. both in comedic studies. I mean, they've always been around in the popular culture. But when we started writing, and it's been a really Im- long time, you know, yeah. uh, this whole process. This is kind of pre the golden, the new golden age of television, yeah. pre True Blood, pre Walking Dead, pre all of that. Pre Twilight. Pre Twilight. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was, we, we were just... Approaching it from from the point of view of well, what what is this? Looking at all these other vampires, it's like well, it's, I don't think this is all that it's about. You know, yeah. it's not about only fangs, and blood, and you know, revealing breasts. You know, yeah. like three minutes into the movie and mm-hmm. kind of killing the rest of the right. the tension. You know, like this is about this is about intimacy. This is about in, uh, enmeshment. Uh, this is about f- fragility. This is about identity. Uh, and I, we found that the character of, uh, of Lara, Laura in the story, but mm-hmm. we call her Laura, we wanted to make her like she's not you're not quite sure where where she stands because she's been lied to a lot yeah. she's been sent away she's trying to figure out things about her past and she's also probably dealing with her own psychological makeup and her own kind of instabilities right and so hence when she when she meets uh, the character of carmila we're also looking like as you mentioned a character that the way we wanted to portray her isn't the classic antagonist she right. also suffers she also pines for a connection it may not mean that the relationship is perfectly healthy, healthy yeah. but it's still very very much uh, full of intensity mm-hmm. full of adolescent kind of uh, passion and 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 mystery and i think it, we this, these are the themes that i think we wanted to kind of tap into uh, and
0: they both come from a place of isolation mm-hmm. in the original story of course uh, it's in the victorian times you can't deal with isolation the, the same way we have more freedom to now where uh, there are hints as to how pained uh, Laura is in the original story of Carmilla, in terms of she thinks a friend is coming, the friend ends up passing away at the beginning, and, and she's, she's very upset by it, even though she's never met this person. So you, you have to kind of deduce or infer her isolation. But with your film, you're able to show that in a variety of ways. Her getting kicked out of school. I don't want to give away too much. But mm-hmm. she does have some of the symptoms of maybe a, a depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're able to show that in ways that are kind of real and also something that people deal with often now. So maybe I'll edit this out later, but the cutting, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, so,
1: I, can... I mean, I think that that's... That we we wanted to root this thing in mm-hmm. a, in a world that we feel we understood and we right. you know and that we understand and also um, even even uh, making it I think in 1989 it was pre cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time when people were listening to music that, in some ways, was you know this is gothic kind of revival in music. So we have, yeah, it's got we the have Joy some, Division, we have and, Joy Division, yeah. and uh, and uh, some other great great music. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really important for us to to find a and and the challenge. I think going mm-hmm. even back to this idea of the adaptation and working together, it was a way of us sh- kind of sharing our own kind of uh, worlds where we came from. How how did it feel to be? kind of in the in the 80s, mm-hmm. kind of exploring. We, we both come from places where we had to adapt a yeah. lot. So we, we projected ourselves into these characters a lot. Where did well. your
0: co-worker come from that he had to he, adapt?
1: I mean, in some ways he's from San Diego, but mm-hmm. uh, he comes from Utah. And okay. he came from a very different background and kind of had to move out of that world. and, and
0: Like a Mormon world? Yes, yeah. yes,
1: yes. But we both shared this kind of fascination with the, how music mm-hmm. and how like this kind of the mysteries of... It, when you're an adolescent and you're starting to explore another, you know the world is. Ne- you're not necessarily fitting in anywhere, and yeah. you're trying to figure things out. And yet you have this incredible connection to music, right? Uh, and I, we both had the same memories of us like listening to Walkmans, escaping, you know, escaping into a world of like waves of sounds and this dark music, and also this fascination I think that that some uh, teenagers have with death, you yes. know, which is is a kind of thing what we wanted to explore. This idea of that. There's a kind of pull. There's a mystery. There's this depth to it, and at the same time, when it gets real, suddenly it's brutal.
0: Yeah, because it's still so far removed, and it's something you expect being an infinite number of years away. So it's still safe enough to explore it, and as you get closer to it, it becomes a little too real. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're right. Teenagers do tend, you know, that, that angsty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in Styria I do want to say you don't overdo it mm-hmm. you know it's not she's not totally woe is me or she's just clearly ha- is suffering from some isolation but she's able to speak she's able to hold herself up and she's able to be a real character
1: and also I think in some ways grow and right. even with her connection her relationship with Carmilla in a strange way mm-hmm. uh, in spite of all the, the enmeshment I think she, she kind of can even learn from a character as toxic as Carmilla
0: how did um, the patriarchal figure in the story morph into Stephen Rees' character in your film? In terms of he he, he doesn't own the castle, right? Mm-hmm. He's there on a uh, for work. So talk about why you decided that. Probably has to do with the time period switch, right? Absolutely, yeah, so. yeah. Of course, when you're
1: adapting, you have to. Yeah. You know, there are ways. You know, certain things don't add up. Certain mm-hmm. things need to be reworked. And we, I think what we, we wanted to make sure that we created this kind of parallel world between the males, mm-hmm. I feel like so that, you know, you had the Stephen Ray character who's Dr. Hill, who's coming from the West. Mm-hmm. And then you have this kind of creepy general who's in control of the town. And in some ways they, they seem or they may not think that they have that much in common. At mm-hmm. least the Stephen Ray character may never want to accept or embrace the idea that they have a lot in common, right. but in because a way, one
0: is very blustery and the other is very reserved. Yes, yeah.
1: but at the same time, I feel like in the relationship to to the feminine, they do. Yeah. Uh, whereas Stephen Ray's character, I think, is you know, he, yeah, I mean, he's not a patriarch in the sense that he doesn't own all the land, mm-hmm. but I think he he kind of owns language, he owns, he's in control, and he's he's basically um, he owns kind of knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. like what his daughter knows about the past, what happened to her mother, yeah. things like that. We don't speak about we, her. We don't thing. speak about yeah. those things and those things fundamentally are the things that Lara is really tr- deep down trying to figure out because these secrets kind of are are, are constantly kind of swirling in her mind yeah. and, 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 and of course, if you don't talk about things, you know, th- they will be discovered in other ways and I think that's another kind of theme in the film.
0: How do you think that the themes of either immortality or... I'm gonna say probably the easiest way to say it is 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 feeding off of the life of someone else uh, relate to your characters and the characters in the original story. Do they do they parallel there? Well, I know I
1: think we went definitely went more into a phantasmagoric kind of mm-hmm. path. I mean, with with Carmilla, and, yeah. and in a way, I don't think we're the, the first. In fact.
0: Uh, I think uh, it's what, not like a biting the neck kind of. A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it,
1: it's more like in the sense of we we, we were very influenced by Dreyer. Mm-hmm. you know. Oh, oh, vampire, you know, vampire, Vampir, yeah. Which actually claim, he claimed to be very influenced by Carmilla. Yes, um, yes, and and I think that what fascinated me about that is a very dreamlike and uh, very phantasmagoric uh, kind of approach where there's at the root of it this idea with that when you the, vamp- the vampire arises mm-hmm. when, when someone takes their life yes. and they come back and wanting, and wanting a company Yes. so that kind of is the theme almost the theme of, of, of wanting company of, of the loneliness yes. um, and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of the path that we, we embraced
0: right and, and but it's that displacement of desperate for something where you don't belong I think that's mm-hmm. where some kind of the conflict starts to arise in Vampire, Carl Dreyer's film 1932, one year after Todd Browning's Dracula came out. And in a lot of ways, a much more mature film.
1: Mm. Yeah, the language, the cinematic cinematic language language. was was really, really incredible. I mean, it's still so haunting.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you look towards specific films for a visual style? I I mean, one thing I can say about stereo your film is it's got a very cold feel about its um, color palette. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I just think we wanted to create a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make the the whole world be very kind of feel that you feel this repression. Yeah. you feel this kind of uh, fragility, and uh, and I, I I feel like the coloring and and I, I always loved. I remember even earlier when we were talking to the DP, just talking about those contrasts between all those grayish blue hues mm-hmm. and 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 that kind of night nocturnal world. Um, and kind of in some ways connecting it to those old black and white films. Yeah. Even though it is a color film, it is monochromatic it have, in yeah. some ways. But then there are some strong splashes of, of color, of, of the red. Mm-hmm. Even though there's not a lot of biting and it's not that kind of vampire film. No. kind of film.
0: There is some self-destruction going yes. on. Yes, uh, <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. I, also, there's another adaptation, now that we're talking about this in terms of the cinematography... Claude Renoir did a film called Blood and Roses. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, he was the DP. He was the cinematographer. He wasn't director on that. I can't remember. Who yeah, the director it's uh,
1: was. now I can't remember. Shoot, I remember. but uh, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. it's
0: a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah. Were you looking at films like that? We were looking okay. at them. We yeah. were
1: looking at all. We looked at everything. Okay, pretty much. But we, I think we were very specific about the world we wanted to do, and we also wanted to do something. I'd say it's, it's a tricky thing, you know, mm-hmm. it put us in a tricky place, you know, yeah. and even in terms of uh, distribution and finding the right way to, to, to connect the film with the world because on the one hand you're, you're being very careful mm-hmm. about the way you're positioning this Carmilla story, but Carmilla is pre-Dracula, it is very influential, but it's not Dracula, yes. right? So there, there are some ardent fans, a small mm-hmm. group of them, but a lot of people don't really know so much about the original story
0: yeah and their and, their expectations are so shaped by drag exactly. that Carmela becomes almost unrecognizable exactly so
1: then you're left in a place where you know without realizing where you're not particularly making a real real in that sense yeah. vampire movie and you're not making a ghost story you're kind of blending in some ways blending genres yeah. and, uh, and making something uh, that's difficult to label uh. Well, I think
0: that's what's interesting about this, though. I, you know, this can be considered one of the heralds of what has become a horror genre film, but it comes from a time where the horror genre technically didn't exist. I mean, I believe Dracula was called a mystery when it came out, you know? And, and this wasn't even a full novel. This is a, a series of magazine stories, kind of like... Well, like Edgar Allan Poe's stories were called mysteries. So in terms of how we discuss genre... This is the beginnings. So I feel like you as a filmmaker have some creativity or some, some room for, for creativity for how you can adapt it in terms of defying what people's expectations might be. Talk to me about the difficulty, which you're just, you already started talking about, between being able to defy those expectations yet having a film that a distributor can look at and be able to market. Yes, I know. Because that's hard, right?
1: Yeah, especially as a first film. Yes, exactly. Um, And and I think the the other thing, before I even talk about the distribution, I mean, the actual making of the film... Uh, you know, yeah, I'm a, talking about
0: in the making process yeah, yeah. like in what the ma- kind of movie are we making yeah. yeah
1: what kind of movie are we making but also yeah you know, it has some it has some traditional elements like we we went all to old, the old world you know we did yeah. go to Hungary we did find uh, a castle outside of Budapest we did find all these european actors from different parts of europe i mean great uh, accents you know, yeah, yeah so <laughs> the, the set was full of all these um european accents mm-hmm. and it was there was a lot of texture to the place we were filming
0: how long were you in budapest
1: uh, well, we did pre-production, and we did, I mean, it was it was almost two months okay. we were there, and it was getting colder and colder oh, and yeah. colder, and the castle was getting colder and colder. See, I that's mean, the why the
0: monochrome was there, the <laughs> cameras were
1: cold. <laughs> but, but, but I guess that, that idea of you're setting out to do, as your first film, mm-hmm. something where you're already putting yourself in a completely different world, yes. you know, and... Uh, uh, at the mercy of things that, you know, filmmakers sometimes, especially romantic ones like us, where we're making a romantic, in yes. a way, a story, you know, sort of the challenges that we place ourselves. Were, were yes. quite, I mean, amazing film school. You know, th- yes. this project, it, you know, I we, it, unbelievable. And every, and every step of the way from the pre-production, all mm-hmm. the challenges of working in another country, we're working with actors, some very well-known actors, agents, to working with extras from the towns. Right. To uh, you know, just mixing this, the whole, uh, the you know, the, the crews, you know, with Hungarians, a DP from Poland, uh, people from United States, from Ireland, so Any, it's very uh, very transla-
0: or uh, language barrier issue. For the or... most
1: part, we all spoke English, yeah. which was was helpful, and the Hungarian crew was very professional, and but it was an odd thing even for them; they couldn't figure out what we were doing because okay. <laughs> because you know a lot of big production companies come to make films there, and we were like in a weird way we had Stephen Ray Mm -hmm. so that set us in a place where we were making a legitimate motion picture but at the same time we were also approaching things like students you know because we were trying to figure out how to make a film with very limited the limited funds we had and I think so from the very beginning we're 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 in a place where I think uh, it's kind of a different world it's a world that maybe existed 10 years ago 15 years ago where filmmakers like venture out and I mean, people still do it all the yes. time, but 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 the challenges. I mean, there's so much more content, and there's so much stories get drowned out, and yeah. you know, making a feature under those circumstances is uh, is quite an undertaking because yes. it takes a long, long time.
0: You took a period piece, adapted it into another period piece. I, I'm reminded of Shakespeare, like Coriolanus. Okay, took took uh, Coriolanus, an uh, ancient Roman and adapted him to this kind of, I think it was a fictional World War One era esque kind of character. Uh, how did you and your co-work, co-director decide on this 1989 date? Um, that would have been just before the, the ending of the Cold War. Yeah, is, so. is that really kind of like the teetering on the edge? And that's
1: exactly what we wanted. We yeah. wanted to talk a lot about the cycles, you mm-hmm. know? uh blood cycles Mm bloodletting uh collective kind of moments in history and we 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 use styria as that kind of world where where we we realize hundreds every hundred years these strange things kind of crop up and in this case we 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 wanted it to have that at its core that kind of we brought back we talked already about the the patriarchal aspects Mm -hmm. i kind of like that level of like abuse that was going on, and yeah. the, the the level of control, and suddenly like how do people react? How do people? Uh, how do those ills get manifested? And so for us, that was that was what was really interesting: is what is the root of this so-called vampirism? And we, we realized that the way we we thought about it is, oh well, you know, it makes complete sense in these small towns when you have these figures who are in control, and women especially who can't really uh, speak their minds or even or didn't, don't even have a way to really exert, you know, their power. You have situations where there's a lot of kind of almost passive aggressive aggression right. in this case suicide.
0: Everything's below the surface. And everything's below yeah. the surface
1: and so this is the world that we wanted and we 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 decided well if we do it in a modern setting, well how how do we have those those elements and or those ingredients and we felt that, you know, right before the wall was perfect mm-hmm. because it rep- it represented all that repression, all that kind of uh tight control mm-hmm and an isolation as well right. an isolation from the west and also no cell phones
0: right Supports and you know
1: <laughs> things like that that you don't we, we don't i mean it, it's funny but, but in a weird way true. like think about us we're constantly on our social media yeah. we're always distracted we're always somewhat connected or disconnected however you want to look at it but we're always somehow busy with other
0: stuff which is uh, not the things that you show in the film but mm-hmm. i I do, I do like the image however of having it in a setting where the wick in the powder keg is right at the edge of explosion. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, of the distraction that we have these days with social media, the world has changed dramatically since 1989. You have a lot of contemplation in this film, whether it's uh, Walter Hill, Stephen Reeves' character, staring at bricks for hours on end, mm-hmm. or, uh, or his daughter, you know, uh, standing in the shower, or standing in her bed, or looking out at a vista, standing on a hill with Carmela. There are a lot of pondering moments. By having the camera just focus on one image for a while, that is actually not a very—it's not very in vogue right now. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it's very quick editing. Sure. So, how do you decide that you're going to go against what some people think is the age of low mm-hmm. attention span? Span. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that was—I think—you know—you're coming out of a, a film. Like dryer, school. right? Yeah, yeah, dryer yeah. was exactly. like set
0: the camera. Yeah, I mean, let you it know. happen.
1: I come, I come from the school where a thought where I, I feel like be, being bored is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. I mean, and I'm not in any way saying we were trying to bore people, but, but, <laughs> but, it, and I don't really think that we even but accomplished that. I looking... feel we could have maybe accomplished that even more, you know. No, but in the sense that I come, I, you know, I, both Mark and I were looking. We were not looking necessarily mm. at those films. We were looking at films that were a lot more extreme, formerly, like even mm. like Hungarian films, like Bela Tarr's films, yes, yes, and 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 uh, work like that. So where it was really a lot about texture, and it was about the way that while focusing on things that are materially kind of there, Mm -hmm. somehow you kind of take, uh, suddenly something strange and mysterious happens where this metaphysical quality starts taking over the image. It's kind
0: of like where, if you sit and stare at a tree, Mm -hmm. it ends up imbuing itself with a new kind of life, almost like it's glowing. And it could be a happy glow, or it could be the very opposite
1: mm-hmm. you know one of the things we, we focused on the most is we really wanted to make a work that where the images had this indelible quality mm-hmm. and that, that that it wasn't just like uh, you know like just
0: information knowing that that is what you wanted intensive visual cues striking imagery mm-hmm. how difficult was to find was it to find a dp was and who, who was the dp
1: the dp was jagosh bartoshevich and i, I met him actually outside of the film school even before I started in Poland so it was this interesting uh, uh, serendipity that took place you know a long time ago and we've been working together ever since Mm -hmm. we've worked on five or six projects together so even he even came to Mexico all the way from Poland for my thesis Mm -hmm. we've worked on documentaries on shorts and uh, hopefully I'll continue working with him Mm -hmm. and so you know he came on board and uh, so we've already had all kinds of discussions you know about what it what, what kind of what kind of work we wanted to do get together. So I think this thing kind of... We fleshed those things out with this film.
0: Right. So y- you find someone who, who can immediately know what you're talking about mm-hmm. when you're speaking in riddles when you're sure trying to but out what also you're doing.
1: like it really because it all, it all comes down to especially under those circumstances we don't have a huge budget but I don't think I think one of the strengths of the film is that you can't even locate how, what the budget is I right. think we you know it looks it looks there's a lot of production value and it comes from the locations yes comes from the faces and the, and the actors but it it comes also mostly from the DP, from the cinematographer. His his lighting is exquisite. Sound work is, is very good, sure, too. Sure, 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 yeah. Had
0: your your sound person, your composer, worked with you before? No, no, we is had... The, uh, the,
1: the composer, his name is Marcello Di Francesi, mm-hmm. and he's... Uh, He's located in LA. Okay. And uh, he's very, very uh, passionate guy. You know, it was a very intense and interesting collaboration. One of the things that really drew us to him is that he's, he's, uh, you know, he's friends with Lisa Gerard from the Dead Can Dance. Uh-huh, yes. And uh, he kind of understood that with this film, he was going back to old, old Europe, right. and uh, and and kind of dug uh, even musically into into that world, using a lot of different instruments and 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 voices and. Uh, so it was, a, it was very, uh, for him, I think it was a very exciting process, and it was very fruitful to have someone who's so passionate and dedicated.
0: There's a very key scene in the story that is modernized in your film, which is the appearance of Carmilla following a auto accident. In, in the original story, it's, it's a horse-drawn carriage. But... Uh, you told me something i didn 't know about the car in, in in the movie. Tell me about did you know what kind of car it was first and and what kind of car is it what 's special about it? Well,
1: when I was living in Poland, uh-huh. uh, I used the car like that in one of my shorts there okay, and I could tell people were a little terrified by that car and I began asking why you know and this isn 't you know post communist Poland yeah and then I started hearing these stories about the volga there 's this mythical Russian black car, who you know was considered really, really dangerous. And when you saw one of these cars um, approaching a village or a town, people would take their kids and hide them because mm-hmm. they thought that the the car would take their kids away. And so it seemed like a perfect segue, you know, in to to use that car as the general's car in the film.
0: Mm-hmm. So I just think that that's very interesting, and it's going a little bit off the rails, but it kind of isn't because we're talking about the myth of the vampire we have this kind of set in stone idea of what a vampire is and what a vampire isn't but a vampire doesn't exist right so you can make a vampire whatever you want it to be the thing is it's coming from from word of mouth oral tradition lore that is based on people being afraid of the dark it's based on you know people not wanting to go into the woods at night alone uh, werewolves all these 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 gothic mythical features Uh, But now you're talking about the Russian Volga Which has the same Kind of feeling that's it's, a vampire. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah. A really dark fairy tale. But one you know? that people are actually seem to... You're, you're talking about people kind of like shying away from it. This Absolutely. is fascinating to
1: me. Yes. And I think that that's something that might be lost in translation, obviously. I mean obviously, are, yeah. There's a lot... There are a lot of little Easter eggs, you know, in this yes. film. A lot of little little <laughs> secret little things that we were exploring, you know, uh, subtle little details. But the, the Volga is a really good example because uh, you're dealing with... a with a part of the world that still, you know, is still trying to wake up from the nightmare of Mm -hmm. communism, you know, very specific. It's very much part of the, of the upbringing of the world. And then you've got the cold winters, you've got the forest Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you've got, it's a perfect kind of cocktail for this kind of dark Gothic Mm -hmm. atmosphere. A lot of repressed memories. Uh, Communism was this incredible experiment where any kind of difference, was uh, was uh, was denied yeah so there was this hom- you know homogenizing of, of culture society and 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 so there's a lot of things that went right into the repress so it, it fits really well with this kind of victorian idea you know the
0: of, uh, I, yeah. I love it it yeah. does it feels very victorian mm-hmm. it feels like the big bad wolf but mm-hmm. it's a car mm-hmm. you know it, it's <laughs> transplanted into the modern age yeah amazing yeah, yeah. it's amazing so that and i'm gonna have to watch that scene now in a new light <laughs> before we get into distribution too I I do want to know if you have any anecdotes about co-directing I don't have a lot of people who co-direct on here so I mean it's
1: it's one of those things where you know we've been working on this thing for years right and we've you know dealt with really tough times you know where we we had no more money we did a Mm -hmm. had to do a kickstarter campaign which fortunately was was very successful and it helped us uh, you know push us to the finish line another way the world has changed yeah and like you know and we've We've, we've experienced a lot of stress together as co directors, and in some ways, I think probably we both would agree that it's best, to, you know, once we've this film school that we went to <laughs> together, you know, now it's time to do something on our own. Yeah. But we would never have been able to make this film
0: alone. By yourself. By yourself. You
1: know, we, where we were in our lives, you know, both on, you know, where we were, how we were able to come together and make something of this level. It just wouldn't have happened.
0: So we, you have to embrace that. Would you recommend that people try that if they tried to make their own films or at least see how that goes? Or I, it's I just, think it's a personality it's, thing yeah. and
1: situation. And, and, uh, I mean, well, it, films it, it,
0: are so collaborative anyway. Yeah, exactly. So do egos get in the way? Sure. Will there be fisticuffs on set? <laughs> 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 Things yeah, like yeah. that. There
1: were, there, you know, there were obviously moments of of tension, uh-huh. uh, but there were a lot of moments of relief because there were times when we had to be in two places at once. Oh, true uh you know with such a kind of again with limited budget limited crew issues with wardrobe issues with this issues with the location issues with transferring money i mean ridiculous mundane things that are going on on set and meanwhile you're having to shoot a scene of someone running through the woods at that very moment so with that trust and that conversation that we've had 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 for years about the project there was there was enough of uh The ability to say hey could you take care of this scene for now Mm -hmm. and and knowing that knowing that we we would the the you know we knew what we wanted together
0: well a director is essentially a manager right sure so you got two managers (laughs) (laughs) really you're juggling all kinds of cats especially (laughs) on a project like that but i
1: mean it is you know i I am very much looking forward to doing my own work and Mm -hmm. but very grateful that i had the opportunity to you know would
0: you ever do it again
1: I have no idea. At this point, I'm think I have a couple projects, still very collaborative, mm-hmm. with with you know other collaborators, and it's just a different stage in my life and in a different stage in my career. But
0: mm-hmm. I have no idea what the future will hold. Exactly. <laughs> All right. People need to see it. Who is the distribution distributor, and, and when did it get picked up? How easy was it to find one?
1: It 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 hasn't been easy. Obviously, yeah. Um It's an, it's we're living in a world where you know. It's tough. To first-time film, getting distribution. Uh, we're still in the process of getting world distribution. So, and it's
0: not like strippers versus werewolves, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not an
1: easy, easy, simple sell like right. you know where you could just, you know you can just have a very quick, easy campaign. Right. Um, and in a way, it's been a little bit uh, of an experiment too, mm-hmm. because uh, Revolver Entertainment, this uh, company, has been picked us up for domestic release, which is Canada and the U.S. Yes, North American. North American. And uh, well, I guess no, not Mexico. No, but, Mexico. Yeah, right. but they do call it still North American. Yeah, <laughs> jerks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, they their campaign, as you, we will get into, is mm-hmm. com- is completely baffling to me as a director and probably the person that I was when i first started it's shocking you know because our film is called hysteria and now they've given it the title angels of darkness but in some ways you know they they do what they do mm-hmm. you know they're trying to get as many eyeballs on the film they're trying to distribute the film the film is now it's going to be on showtime this sunday yeah
0: that's really cool
1: and it's uh it's going you know it's on itunes and mm-hmm. amazon and hulu plus and a bunch of other platforms
0: how transparent are they in terms of Here's how many viewers you've had on Amazon. We, we'll see. We just it just. You started. just have no idea yet. You have oh, no man. idea it's, yet. I always wonder yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I hear I mean, so many different horror yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah.
1: Generally, it's tough on on first time oh, yeah. filmmakers, mm-hmm. and I think the the way to approach this is, you know, again, first time film. It's been a very long process. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's been very uh, intense, but it's at the same time it's incredible privilege, you know, to go through this whole uh, gamut of experiences, Mm -hmm. come out alive (laughs) and also get distribution and know that people, all kinds of people are going to watch it. Perhaps their marketing, it might disappoint some people because they're not necessarily you know the, not quite accurate accurate in terms of how images, how you yeah. yeah how you're going to look at the film but i've already received really surprising uh, emails from from people i never met That's you great. know on facebook and other places where they're they're really really uh, you know they really love the film so to me it's like even if there's like 20 people who Mm-hmm. don't know what's going on or it's not action-packed enough for the, there's those those that get it and get even what
0: we're doing with the adaptation and, and, it, and it's kind of rewarding based on being a film festival director and doing so many monthly screenings I do think there is a significant contingent of people who want to have their expectations challenged who want to say all right I'll check out this another vampire movie and it turns out being something completely different I think that that will yield, if not like millions of people, but people who are passionate about it. That's, I, that's my prediction, just based on what I see from react, people who, who reacted to the screening at Horrible Imaginings mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Yeah. I don't think everybody wants another run-of-the-mill vampire movie. I think we, people, there are people who are thirsty for a different take on classic material. I hope so.
1: I mean, I I, I have seen some really. I, I thought, might be naive. No, no. I think. I mean, it's. It, I the interesting thing will be right now that we have this uh, North American so-called uh, distribution. Yeah. I I feel like UK would be a great market. Yeah. Or Germany or even, I I was I had the the honor of, of, of opening for the Macabro Film Festival in mm-hmm. in Mexico City and I had no idea what I got myself into at first because you know this is is, it's it's a hardcore hardcore horror festival festival. a lot of gore you know (laughs) our film has a couple splashes of gore you know for a few seconds but ultimately it's a very you know it's a gothic classic it's a gothic film you know and the thing was when I got to Mexico Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out that the opening was in this enormous theater that housed twelve hundred thirteen hundred people yeah. and at some point I thought I'm gonna get lynched right <laughs> you know I had to suddenly face all these people and uh and the screening went down really well mm-hmm. and I think it's for the reasons that you're describing because a lot of those people came it, it, maybe there was more focus groups of people who were looking for those films right. you know, fans of that festival but bringing so many people together to watch a film and it actually kind of worked yeah. because it brought different extremes of people and suddenly they had them watch something that defied their expectations, right. but that obviously had an, the production value and the experience, created a, a unique experience for them.
0: I do think that the people who will go see a splatter movie or, or, or a gore movie are also, they're also familiar with, say, Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire sure. or Dreyer's Vampire. They, they, they like to explore the roots of the genre they love. And I think ultimately that's why your film will be successful with that group, even if it isn't a hardcore horror film or a splatter film, mm-hmm. because it appeals to the roots of what they love. I do think I, I believe I believe that's why I loved it. I believe that's why it fit with my audience, uh, even though I don't have fifteen hundred seat theater. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, one day we but, will. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. I think as much as you might defy expectations of this film, I think that some people might defy your expectations. Sure. Yeah. No, no, Which no. is just as exciting. And is very exciting. Yeah. And,
1: you know, so I really hope that people get it. More people get a chance to watch it, and um, you know, if they like it, I hope they they rate it on IMDb. Yes. Well, that <laughs> is
0: something I think a lot of people don't know. Let's yeah. talk about that. This is a great thing for anybody listening right yeah. now. For an independent filmmaker who has put out and luckily gotten distribution and has films on Netflix, Amazon, you name it. there's nothing like a rating, mm-hmm. right um, It seems like such a uh, this is just a dumb Facebook thing to do but it is extraordinarily helpful in terms of getting new work, getting noticed and pushing the film to the top of a list of recommendations. When people log on to Amazon sure. Prime, for example, sure, sure. Yeah.
1: I've I, I noticed recently, just within this release, that you know, we've had definitely some great rate, rating moments of ratings, mm-hmm. like even on Amazon, and then we have like I'm now that the the distribution is going really to a very broad group who are expecting an action film or yeah. something else. I, I'm, I'm noticing like the ratings slow, slowly lowering. I think it's going to taper off and, and it's going to change like yeah. with time.
0: Just can't please everyone.
1: You can't please everyone. <laughs> but it is it is an interesting thing because I feel like it's very easy to hate on something oh, when you yes. don't know. But I think there's plenty, and I know it from the emails I've gotten, that there are people who really, really enjoy and appreciate the film.
0: Yeah. It is important. And you're right. It's the internet. It's easier to hate than to love. Yeah. And so people who want to talk smack are going to do it. So if you do like the film then take the second to click at least a star you know <laughs> at least a star rating i should say not one star but five <laughs> or four and whatever you feel but uh but do it it's going on tv showtime yes when's the what's the date when can people look for that so anyone who has showtime
1: yeah anyone who has showtime it's March 1st, I think. Sunday, uh, March Sunday, 1st.
0: So a couple days from now. Yeah. I better get this episode up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. March <laughs> March 1st uh-huh. uh, is the premiere at 3 o'clock. But it will later start uh, also uh, screening or showing... At later, later dates, like 8.30, 9, 9.30. So, so we got, I, I know, for, you know for the month of March, we have several nice uh, showings. Check your local listings. Yeah, showtime.
0: Yeah. So this is the birthday present for me since March is my birth month. Obviously, this was done on purpose. Thank you, Revolver. <laughs> uh, I've been talking to Mauricio Ternovezky, uh co-director of Styria, now known as Angels of Darkness, which you can see all over mostly where you see films online amazon prime and and you know that whole motley crew i need to mention something something very important <laughs> a short film called dos gatos What was I thinking? I'm so stuck on Styria or Angels of Darkness. Sorry, Revolver. That I need to talk about Dos Gatos because also in the month of March, March 13th through 22nd, we're bringing the San Diego Latino Film Festival to San Diego once again. And I have been asked to program the Un Mundo Extraño sidebar, for lack of a better term, genre films. Um, Mauricio, your, your short film Dos Gatos is going to be part one of our in our shorts block. You described this as a way to experiment with tension. You used the convention of the found footage. So anybody coming to the San Diego Latino Film Festival to see the shorts block, what what can they expect from Los Gatos and what do you want them to get from it?
1: Well, yeah, it was for me. It was this this way of merging two interests, like to kind of limit myself. You know, mm-hmm. Styria you know, is a very different, expansive. Beast. Yeah, yeah, expansive. Uh, you know, and here I, I constrained myself to one location, one actor, mm-hmm. limited time frame, and uh, created a, a story that's pretty much centers around one, uh, the, one the, an arrogant bartender who, who's closing up for the night in Dos Gatos restaurant. And uh, something strange starts to happen there. And the whole thing is filmed with uh, surveillance cameras.
0: So you're, you're limited in terms of camera work, too. Because yes, they absolutely. pivot left to right at most. Those if don't that, even do that. No, those don't even do They're that. Completely They're completely fixed. The yeah, only
1: okay. time that you have movement is he does use his cell phone to okay. uh, leave a video that message was, to his to right. his to his girlfriend back in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So what I liked about it is I, I kind of I approached it as a, a very a, pretty much an experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, no budget experiment. Like here I am working towards distribution on my next film. What do I driving going crazy? The creative part of me is going crazy. I want to make something. I want to continue just sharpening my skills. And so I, I came up with this idea and said to myself, well, how much tension can I build? How much tension without really revealing much more than just the the movement and the, the, the kind of the development of this character through this space, on the one hand. On the other hand, I found it really interesting the way you can actually reveal a lot about a personality by watching them mm-hmm. so in a way it's kind of observational almost in the way documentaries are
0: or, or voyeuristic
1: and voyeuristic for sure <laughs> without without a doubt but what, what kind of cinema isn't voyeuristic that's true <laughs> you know? but yeah absolutely for me it was very important to to kind of create with my uh, you know uh, actor Luis Deves mm-hmm. who's a, an amazing actor just a very specific kind of character and he just, just let him kind of be that person for the eight and a half minutes and just let that thing just exp- you know let, let, let him just be you know because yeah. basically you don't have all these cuts you're not cutting to you know close-ups of eyes or or, <laughs> or, 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 or shaking hands you're, you're just watching him yeah and uh and his personality where he comes from is is really uh is almost like a cultural experience you know okay. so
0: do so. you feel like mexico is coming to its own in terms of uh bringing films to the world landscape
1: I, well obviously you know we've got this these you know, Mexican directors are doing really well.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: so many. But, uh, I do think in my conversations with Mexico, Mm -hmm. uh, while I was there, that there is a change. There's a, Mm -hmm. a sea change because for a while, like, Filmmakers would make one movie that did well, and then they'd get out of Mexico. Yes. And genre filmmaking in Mexico was still not given a lot of attention. There are a lot of fans, incredible amount of yes, passionate are. fans. But in terms of the actual work, they're always a little feeling like, oh my goodness, why are we just getting like the the, the crumbs? Like, why are these films made with without any real uh, thought or love mm. for the craft? Yeah. And uh, in my conversations there, I realized, man, there is a great. First of all, Mexico's full of ghost stories, full of <laughs> full of that that world of the very loving of the gothic and the and the, It that. is. It's like Eastern Europe. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And at the same time, I think uh, people are starting to realize it's it's time to make, you know, really strong uh, genre work yeah. in Mexico, and, and you're going to see more of it.
0: And time to embrace that. Yes, well, that, that's interesting, especially the way our country is growing in terms of Spanish-speaking people. Yes, we should see more of that. Uh, Mauricio, thank you so much for joining me at the Horrible Imaginings podcast. Everybody else, catch the film, and I'll see you at the San Diego Latino Film Festival. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the return of the Horrible Imaginings podcast with my conversation with Mauricio Trinovetsky, director of Formerly Styria, now Angels of Darkness, available everywhere, starting Sunday on Showtime. As well as right now, if you want to watch it at Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu Plus, all the places you've heard, give it a search online wherever you watch films. This show is produced on a very shoestring way, just like your regular indie feature, but we do have some help opening song is by Eric Elick of Eric Elick Productions, and our website, Webmaster, is the great web designer Rough Ride Creations, all of whom we owe a great debt of gratitude to. Until next time, stay scared.